welcome to this week's episode of What It Really Means. What a week. I'm Brad Shepard, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Paul Harrell. Paul, how's it going? It's going good. I, I think, uh, you know, it's been a week since we talked, and I think the left is earning every bit of therapy they're going to need over the next four years when Donald Trump is re-elected president. I don't think all of the animal therapy in the world is going to help in this case. <laughs> I mean, it is really getting to uh, unprecedented levels, we'll say. And, and I guess a good starting point with that is uh, let's talk about the most intense debate I've seen anyway in presidential history. Uh, let's talk about that. Paul, what were your thoughts on that? How did you see it? I, well, I thought the debate uh, was the way the country is right now. You know, everybody seemed to think uh, that it was too divisive. But I, I really, well, when I say everybody, I, I'm, of course, talking about how the media is portraying it. They're telling us, after all, how we should feel about this debate, about these two candidates. And, of course, one of the things they like to do is to hammer the president on how many times he interrupted Joe Biden. And it's uh, pretty interesting because if you go back to the 2012 debates when Vice President Joe Biden was debating uh, Paul Ryan, uh, it was completely different. The media had a lot of praise. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I've got a clip here. Uh, this was posted by uh, Eddie Zipperer uh, on uh, Twitter. Uh, just listen to this. This is Good Morning America 2012 after the Joe Biden uh, in Paul Ryan debate, where Biden interrupted Paul Ryan 82 times. Listen to this. Get right to it right now. It's your voice, your vote, which is 25 days to go. And ABC John Carl has all the highlights from Danville, Kentucky. And John, boy, no throat clearing last night. These guys were going at it right from the start. They sure were, George. This was a clash of ideas, a clash of styles, and I would say the liveliest vice presidential debate we have ever seen. This one got personal. Jack Kennedy lowered tax rates, increased growth. Ronald oh, Reagan. now you're Jack Kennedy. Barb after Barb. I know you're under a lot of duress to make up for lost ground, <laughs> but I think people will be better served if we don't keep interrupting each other. Okay, so you see, you see, Brad, like the interruptions there, and that's just a low-key example. There was also an SNL skit uh, that took place uh, back in 2012. But you understand, the media loved it. I mean, the idea of going at each other because Biden was the one that was the perceived victor there was totally fine then. But now we see this giant double standard. Another tweet here by this, uh, this guy, Eddie Zipperer, on Twitter uh, and he writes that Ari Fleischer is 100% correct about the debate. Here's a video of the first three minutes. So now we're back to 2020 debate. Here's a video of the first three minutes of interruptions, and they all come from Biden. What this really means is that Biden was attempting to um, perform or do the same strategy he did with Paul Ryan in 2012. And so listen to this clip of Biden interrupting the president. And after it happened three times, the president then turned everything on Biden. Listen. President and the Senate is elected for a period of time, but a president's elected for four years. We're not elected for three years. I'm not elected for three years. So we have the Senate. We have a president. He's elected to the next During election. that period of time. Interruption. During that period of time, we have an opening. I'm not elected for three years. I'm elected for four years. The and the 100 million people, Joe, the 100 million people is totally wrong. I don't know where you got that number. The bigger problem that you have 
is that you're going to extinguish 180 million people with their private health care, that they're very That's happy That's simply with. not true. Well, you're certainly no, going, to socialist. You're going to socialist. You're going to socialist We're now into, gentlemen, we're now into open discussion. Open discussion. Open discussion. Yes, I agree. Go ahead, Vice President. Oh, you see there, uh, again, Chris Wallace was a total factor of the debate. I'm sure you're going to have something to say about that here in a little bit, Brad, uh, because yeah. that was very frustrating, obviously. Yeah. Here is what I think is the best part of the debate for me was when President Trump asked Joe Biden to name at least one law enforcement group that has endorsed him. And of course, Biden couldn't answer or whoever was on the other line with Biden uh, couldn't pull up Google <laughs> fast enough. I, I don't know. Listen to this. That's He's talking exactly, about defunding the that, police. That is not true. He doesn't have any what? law you, support. Look, he has no law enforcement That's support. not true. Almost that's nothing. Not, Look, oh, really? Who do you have? Name one group that supports you. Name one group that came out and supported you. Go look, ahead. Look, think. We have time. We don't have time to do no, anything. No, no. All right. Uh, All name right. one folks, law enforcement folks. group that folks. came I out think, and I supported think, gentlemen, you. Gentlemen, I think I'm going to... And there we go. There, Then, of course, we have Chris Wallace interrupting to save the day again. Now, yeah. aside from the obvious, I'm really glad we actually played this clip, Brad, from the 2012 debates. Uh, Joe Biden's mental decline is severe. I mean, that's the first thing that you see if you compare these these two. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, I thought that was one of the president's uh, best moments. Uh, and I do I do have one more clip, um, and then I want I don't I do want to get your take. But there was the left pushing the narrative about white supremacy. I'm sure you remember this uh, in the Jeez. debate. It was uh, it was pretty pretty frustrating. Um, but if you'll remember. You had a clip back in 2016, and this is this has been circulating. Uh, Dave Rubin posted this of Chris Wallace asking Trump the exact same question on denouncing white supremacists all the way back in 2016. So why do you have to ask it again? Listen. I totally disavow David Duke. I've been doing it now for two weeks. This is you're probably about the 18th person that's asked me the question. It was very clear. That question was also talked about in the form of groups, groups. I want to know which groups are you talking about? You have to tell me which groups. Ultimately, he got to the Ku Klux Klan, which obviously I'm going to disavow. And by the way, if you look on my Twitter account, almost immediately after the program, they were disavowed again. You know, it's amazing. When I do something on Twitter, everybody picks it up, goes all over the place. But when I did this one, nobody ever picks it up. Are you willing tonight to condemn white supremacists and militia groups sure. and to say that they need to stand down and not add to the violence in a number of these cities, as we saw in Kenosha and as we've seen in Portland. Sure, Are you I'm prepared to, to do that? Again, it's, that was a, the, in the clip of the 2020 debate versus the you know 2016 debate. Brad, I mean, I got to tell you, I forgot how much they tried to pin the president in 2016 as a white supremacist, and they just— it doesn't matter what he says. They just continue with this falsehood. Yep. And we have Chris Wallace essentially giving us a rerun and asking the same question that he's already answered a million times. Go ahead. I agree. I think it's a complete disgrace. And I actually think this was a mistake by President Trump because what he essentially let happen is the Democrats control the narrative. Chris Wallace, we know, has been a Trump hater for decades. You can look at videos online and see him interviewing Donald Trump as a civilian decades ago. He was a prick then. Then you've got Joe Biden, and it's a group effort. It's Wallace and Biden ganging up on him to pressure him into denouncing 
the Proud Boys, the oh so dangerous Proud Boys, <laughs> and white supremacy yet again. So to me, that's an opportunity you take to press Biden on his racially inflammatory remarks and ask if he'll denounce those. I mean, what we know about the Proud Boys, and I think it's fair to say that your average person didn't know anything about them before that narrative was pushed in the debate by the left. But they're a multiracial group led by an Afro-Cubano. It's not a racist group. It's a multiracial group. And, and you have to understand that. If you're in a position to run for president or moderate a debate, you should have that knowledge already. And so, you know, as you talked about, Chris Wallace had already asked President Trump to denounce white supremacy. So what was the intent there? Why didn't he ask Joe Biden these questions? It was completely ridiculous. And just going back to the very fine people hoax. And that is something that Chris Wallace allowed. He promoted that. Everyone knows that's a hoax. The evidence is clear. He was not talking about white supremacists, Nazis, etc. It was very clear in his statement and even after that. But it didn't stop Chris Wallace from pushing that narrative in the debate. Man, that was disgusting. It, it really was. And I was uh, looking at some of the debate fallout on social media. And this girl that I follow, she posted something uh, along the lines that Trump never said that white supremacists were very fine people. And she put the full quote up there. And I couldn't believe the amount of people who were arguing with her over the full quote. Yeah, it, it was, you know, mind numbing that this is still out there and it's out there because the media is promoting it. Now, if you'll you'll remember, Brad, last week in our episode, you asked me what I think uh, Biden's strategy or what his best strategy would be. And it would just be to repeat the lies of the mainstream media because the mainstream media is on his side and they still do have a lot of influence over a lot of Americans. Unfortunately, that influence is intentionally deceiving the American people. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's really unbelievable. And one of the things you would notice if you did check the facts is the amount of lies by Joe Biden in this debate. Oh, Hunter Biden, three and a half million from the mayor of Moscow. And he just simply says that was discredited. It's not challenged. And they move on to the next thing. Discredited by who? Who discredited that, Joe? That would be my question. So I think those were, you know, in some aspects, missed opportunities for Trump, you know, because he has a lot of successes to talk about, like destroying ISIS and bringing the troops home and being tough on China. Does anybody think Joe Biden's going to do that? But he didn't press Biden on fracking, which is a critical issue in Pennsylvania, which, of course, we know is a hotly contested swing state. So I thought there were some missed opportunities there. He didn't knock Biden out, so to speak. But I think Biden actually, he was able to benefit from circumstances. Everyone had low expectations going into this debate for Joe Biden. So I thought he did okay. He didn't do great. There was points where he stumbled and he started out a little sharper than he ended up. But ultimately, I don't think it was a knockout. The moderators, we have to fix this. And by the way, it's not going to get any better. So if, if you're not familiar with the moderator of the next debate, he actually was an intern for Joe Biden. 
for a Kennedy. He wrote an article anti-Trump just a couple of years ago. So this is the kind of people you have that are moderating these debates. But what we have here is we actually have the debate commission, which has been politicized by liberals. This is where Republicans have to stay strong. I wouldn't agree to continuing these debates going forward in this format. Every election, the cards are stacked against Republicans because of the liberally politicized debate commission. Well, I mean, first off, the reports after the debate, again, where the media was telling us all how to feel, well, you should be upset with the debates because everyone interrupted one another or it was awkward. Well, the country's in a really awkward situation right now. I don't know if anybody out there's noticed, but what is the left trying to do? And when I say the left, I'm talking about the debate commission. I think they're clearly on the left, obviously. They're trying to silence the president. They're, this is what the left does, right? They don't actually, this is the one time where our nation gets to come and debate in the arena of ideas and actually talk about policy. And again, Biden was really short on policy. And what do they want to do moving forward? They want to have a mute button. They want to be able to silence the president and keep him from challenging their narrative. And that's what this is about. Yeah. For those folks who have just, and this happened in 2016, that's why there are therapists doing very well right now uh, in the Washington, D.C. area specifically because President Trump is uh, having, you know, this Trump derangement syndrome and therapists. Are, my point is, is the media told everybody that he had no chance of winning and that Hillary was a shoe in. And then that didn't happen. And people had a meltdown because people look to news anchors like clergy now. Right. And I've said this before, mm -hmm. but they can absolve us or they can condemn us based on the same or different moral standards, depending on what the day is, depending on if they had a, a cup of coffee that morning or not. Anyway. So I, I, I think that uh, the debate commission is certainly liberal, and I think they are embodying the left right now. What, what do we do if we don't get our way? If we don't like what you say, we call it violence, or we set cities on fire, or we try to silence the opposition. And that's really what they're trying to do. The debate commission now wants to silence the president from being able to interject, from being able to speak up and and get a different message across. And so maybe the debate format is irrelevant now with Twitter and, and heck, I mean, Joe Rogan uh, offered to host the debate. I, I think that, I think he'd at least just let people talk. He yeah. would never say, I'm going to silence your microphone. I don't believe because this is America and you just need to let the people who want to be the most powerful people in the world actually duke it out and talk. And again, in 2012, the media was all about it. They were all about going back and forth and duking it out for the American people, right? Now, all of a sudden, they're not. And I think it's because the media are losing. Yeah, I agree. And when you talk about the mute button, well, we kind of saw the attempt at that already at this first debate. Chris Wallace interrupted President Trump 76 times. He interrupted Joe Biden 15 times. So if you think that's bad, imagine that with a mute button. That's what it's going to look like. Honestly, I think if they went through with it, Brad, it might. I mean, can you imagine the leader of the free world on stage trying to talk to the American people and all of a sudden his mic just goes just goes dead? You know, I, I think it would actually look really, really bad and would probably help Trump in the polls. I have noticed something since 2016, really since 2015. The media, Trump's opponents, they lay nets, they lay traps and then they fall into their own nets. It happens almost every time, and the president never falls into these traps that they lay for him. And so I, I look 
for this to continue uh, as we move closer to November the 3rd. Yeah, I do as well. I mean, I did like President Trump dominating the conversation. You can say what you want, but I think there's an important psychological optic to that for viewers. He appears to be the person dominating the conversation. He's in charge. There is this sort of psychological aspect to that, right? And nobody should be surprised by that. That was the same Trump we saw to a degree in 2016, right? And again, as you pointed out, that is Joe Biden's style as well. He just got beat at his own game. So, yeah, I, I, I thought it was it was very interesting. And, you know, going into the next debate, I, I think, you know, President Trump needs to use that opportunity to really talk about his successes and really push Joe Biden on his record. Because I really think there's a lot of material there. Do you think anyone's mind was changed? No, not at all. This is clearly a base election. And if you're watching that debate, I think Trump had a strategy of trying to pit the radical left, the Bernie Sanders wing of the party, against Joe Biden and company. And, and I think that was very smart. But it's a base election. I think that's why it was a smart strategy. And if anything, seeing Trump uh, just dominate the conversation like that and do what, frankly, his supporters love, that fired them up. That fired up that base. So, but I don't think any minds were changed. Oh, yeah, I, I totally agree with you there. I don't think any minds were changed. And um, you're spot on when you say this is a, a base election. And, you know, I, I follow some folks on Twitter uh, Larry Schweikart, one of them, uh, and he is doing some really interesting stuff with the battleground states, uh, looking into the uh, amount of registered voters and how many Democrats versus Republicans and, and that sort of thing. It really is about who can, uh, you know, can get the most uh, registered Democrats. And an interesting thing is there's a lot of these Dems who are um, who are just simply not voting in the early vote the way they have in the past. And again, we are talking with mail-in ballots and that sort of thing. And there's all kinds of red flags that come up there. But uh, specifically, if anybody wants to know about Florida, uh, I think Larry Schweikart on Twitter, uh, he, he's doing some really interesting stuff with the numbers there. So you guys should check that out. Yeah, and talking about the second presidential debate, I mean, this is similarly along that topic. But President Trump testing positive for COVID-19 and now it appears that although he wants to move forward, it sounds like Joe Biden is commenting that if he still has COVID-19, he should not do the debates. So that'll be interesting. But let's rewind back to Friday morning, bright and early, where President Trump announced on Twitter that he and the First Lady Melania contracted COVID-19. Over the weekend, he would go to Walter Reed Hospital for precautionary reasons. On Monday, he was discharged. He was said to be feeling good, experiencing no symptoms. He talked about, you know, how far we've come as a nation to, to respond to COVID-19, the treatment. And he talked about not living in fear. And that's when it all went downhill with the lunatic left. I don't think they ever thought if he got it, he would ever tell anyone he got it. And that's just because of his previous statements about the benefits of hydroxychloroquine and 
and uh, and you know the idea of of taking a Z pack and zinc and that sort of thing. When he was being a cheerleader for the country, when he was putting out these uh, other medicines that you know the media immediately decided to tell you don't work and the president's crazy. That's when I knew they do work. Um, I, you know, you just believe the complete opposite. They don't have my best interest at heart. They lie to me all the time. So why would I think they care about my health care and getting over a, a cold or a, or COVID nineteen or whatever the disease is out there? So uh, that's the first thing. I, I don't think they ever suspected that if he caught it, he would ever tell people he got it. And so he gets it, and then he beats it in three days. Yes, he's got the best doctors in the world. We should be celebrating that. The left wishing him to die. I mean, they're wishing for him to die even now, and this is their worst nightmare. He tells us this is what happened, and they can't stand him for it. But they have revealed yet again that, you know, I saw Jennifer Rubin from the Washington Post talk oh, about that. You know, they're they're obsessed with this mask. They're all they're mad that he goes to the White House and takes his mask off after he's, and you know, and they've got MSNBC saying they need to charge him with manslaughter. You've got Jennifer Rubin saying uh, the G, uh, the uh, GOP is a death cult. Really, really, the GOP is a death cult. Sixty million unborn children since the seventies, and and the GOP is the death cult. I don't think they have a clue about how hollow and disingenuous they sound. They just hate this man so much that it blinds and clouds all their other senses. Well, it does. You also had a CNN analyst who was actually a special agent at the FBI call President Trump a biological terrorist for returning to the White House with COVID-19 from Walter Reed Hospital. I mean, these people are deranged. And we're not saying it's all Democrats. Obviously, there are normal Democrats we have policy disagreements with, but there's this radical element of the party that seems to get larger every year. They're certainly the most vocal. And they are crazy. Yeah, you're you're definitely right about that. I, I And, you know, they don't even... They don't even play by their own rules or they contradict themselves that we have the president standing on a balcony by himself and he takes his mask off. You know, so that that's that's assuming if you buy, uh, you know, everything that they have said about the importance of the mask and the mask shaming that goes on. But he's by himself. Surely they're not saying that when you're by yourself, you need to wear a mask. And. And so it's just it's it's laughable. They you know they got mad when he did a a, a drive by, uh, not an actual drive by, but you know just like went by, waved at his supporters. Now that's also really upsetting, Brad. The fact that there were so <laughs> many people that came to Walter Reed and showed their support and basically had a MAGA rally. How dare they? I know, but that has really got them even even you know even more in a tizzy, and it's. You know, if, if the stakes weren't so high, it would be really easy to sit back and just, you know, just look at the, the comedy of errors this all is. But the stakes are are very, very high, and it's the future of the country, and we and Joe Biden just cannot be president. I mean, we have got to make sure everyone gets out and votes. Well, if Joe Biden's president, it's real simple. He's going to take advice from people like Dr. Fauci, who, depending on what month it is, are going to tell you you need to wear a mask or you don't need to wear a mask. And that's how he's going to decide whether you are locked down inside your house, unable to work, unable to support your family, unable to run your business, and apparently unable to get a relief package passed as well. 
Yeah, I saw that. So you're screwed if Joe Biden is elected because you're getting locked down. I mean, there's no understating it. And by the way, the mother of the Chinese virologist who accused China of intentionally creating COVID-19 has now been arrested because her daughter spoke the truth. That sounds like the action of a government trying to cover up a crime to me. Well, if I'm China, I'm very worried right now. I mean, the president, if that, you know, I I don't think it was from a bat in a wet market. I think it's obvious, you know, Zero Hedge, the website, they got pulled off of Twitter because they stated the facts early on that didn't go with the media's narrative, which is this thing is from a bio lab in Wuhan, China. Senator Tom Cotton was uh, at the forefront of bringing this to light as well. And you're, if you're China, if you're the Chinese government, you've lost on these trade deals. Uh, you're not doing so hot. And uh, the president of the United States contracted your virus. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds an awful lot like warmongering. And I think warmongering is, is definitely an understatement. Was it an accident? Was it intentional? We simply don't know. And if it was intentional, the president of the United States just got this. So if you're China, you need to be very worried right now. That's especially if he gets a second term. Yeah, and the same Chinese virologist was saying that uh, government officials within the Chinese Communist Party were laughing when they found out President Trump caught COVID-19. I mean, this is really our biggest enemy. We've talked about this repeatedly in the podcast. I did an article about it on UncoverDC.com. But this is our biggest threat. And if Joe Biden wins the election, well, uh, this is the country he joked with that should help make him president one day. I, it, it's really just mind-blowing what's at stake here. Yeah, and uh, I know that you have the conservative Hollywood actor, James Woods. Uh, he tweeted that all of this stuff really makes for a good movie. I mean, if you just bullet point it, and I think I retweeted this, uh, but if you just bullet point it, it is quite interesting what 2020 has led to. The fact that there was this virus, that it got released from a bio lab, however that happened. You know, the, the economy tanks, the economy comes back, the president of the United States then gets the virus. I mean, it really is an interesting script. Unfortunately, it's real life, folks. Real life sometimes isn't pretty. And we're going to switch gears to this topic. And this really isn't pretty, uh, especially if you have any faith in your country and love it. Director of National Intelligence John Ratcliffe declassified CIA memos revealing then-CIA Director John Brennan, who briefed then-President Obama on Hillary Clinton's plan to tie Donald Trump to Russia as a means of distracting the public from her use of a private email server ahead of the 2016 election. Wow. You know, Brad, this ties into what we talked about, I think, on the initial uh, What It Really Means uh, podcast. Uh, the Worm Podcast, as we're now calling it. You can hashtag that, folks. It's hashtag W-I-R-M. Please help us out. You know, uh, this idea of seeding the U.S. consciousness, if you will, that Russia is a big problem. This started in 2016 before the president was elected. That's how Hillary Clinton, if you will remember, she stood up there and she was like, 17 U.S. intelligence agencies all believe that Russia, Russia. You know, you remember all this, right? And you remember candidate Trump was like, 
he disputed it. He said, no. And, you know, there were all these reports from the New York Times and all of the networks that had already reported 17 U.S. intelligence agencies. And then, of course, he won, and it wasn't a rejection of the Democrat ideas in their delusional world. It had to be Russia, Russia, Russia. And now we have proof. And, uh, you know, last week, DNI uh, Director uh, uh, Ratcliffe, he, you know, he said that he, uh, he, you know, he had these documents and he kind of gave us a summary and everybody said it was a political hit, but he actually has the documents. The documents are now there. Uh, Brad, I'm reading from a page right now. Per FBI verbal request, CIA provides the below example of information the Crossfire Hurricane Fusion Cell has gleaned to date. And there's a little bit of redaction here, but in exchange discussing U.S. presidential candidate Hillary Clinton's approval of a plan concerning U.S. presidential candidate Donald Trump and Russia hackers hampering U.S. elections as a means of distracting the public from her use of a private email server. They made it all up. And the CIA referred this to the FBI to be investigated. And, uh, well, we know who was at the head of the FBI, Comey. He had no intention of actually doing anything. He wanted – they've got a Clinton Foundation problem too, by the way. That, that's a whole other episode. But they wanted her to be president of the United States. They did not want Trump to be. We know that. And it's obvious the corruption – this has got to be dealt with, Brad. We have got to hope. We've got to pray that we can have – you know, we were talking last week – uh, Chris Ray needs to go. The the confidence needs to be restored with these three letter agencies, or they need to just go away. We have even more confirmation that that needs to happen from the news that broke today. It's also really clear they didn't believe Donald Trump would win, so their cover up would never see the light of day. That's obvious, man. You know when I think about seventeen seventy six, and and what we did. And in what our government back then thought they could get away with and what we would actually allow. And you fast forward all this time later to today. And and I'm just going to go ahead and say it. It feels like we're a bunch of because there is no way in hell our government would have done what they did to Donald Trump and company hundreds of years ago. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't have dared because there was accountability to the people. And I think people sometimes have gotten a little too comfortable. And if you're reading this information, if you're listening to this podcast and you're not pissed off about hearing about that, you got a problem because this is unprecedented. It is the biggest modern political scandal in the entire history of America. It's disturbing, and for me, I don't know how I can ever trust these people or these agencies where these people worked ever again. Going back to the actual notes you mentioned, the declassified documents, a large portion of the notes were redacted, except in the margins, which reads J.C., Dennis, and Susan which would seem to refer to then-FBI Director James Comey, then-National Security Advisor Susan Rice, and then-President Obama's Chief of Staff Dennis McDonough. It's all there. It's crystal clear this was a massive corruption cover-up. And I'm disgusted. Well, I mean, you know, 
probably, you know, you've got John Brennan who responded to this on CNN and he said some paraphrasing here, but he said something to the effect of, well, you know, I mean, if that did happen and Hillary did make this all up and, you know, if that's all, uh, there was nothing illegal about it. And people on Twitter have rightfully noted what that is. That's an admittance. That's, that's, that's him admitting, not denying that this happened. He's admitting that it happened and saying it's not illegal. So that's where they are now. They're now saying, yeah, we did it, but it wasn't illegal. And um, one of the first times I ever saw Dan Bongino is he goes through this, uh, um, you know, this lump on his neck and we want him to get well soon. One of the first things I ever heard him being interviewed and it was over the NSA spying scandal and Edward Snowden and everything else. And he was just talking about how dangerous it is that you have these massive intelligence operations and your civil liberties are violated, but because it's so complex, there's not one person at the end that's responsible for it. Everything's compartmentalized, uh, the, the you know the way intelligence agencies do, but there's not one person responsible for violating your Fourth Amendment right or, or setting you up or whatever, or denying you due process. That's not the case here. I mean, he makes a great point, but we've got the guy's names. We've got them listed, to your point. We, we do know who's responsible for this. And... Um, we need to take action. The, the the U.S. government, somebody needs to take action. They need to bring these people to justice. There needs to be jail time. You know, the question when these big neocons, when the big uh, uh, apparatus was revealed uh, about the capabilities of them being able to spy on every American and collect their data and everything else was, well, you know, if you don't have anything to hide, what are you worried about? Or, or why would they? Why, if you were up and, and you were James Comey or you were uh, uh, John Brennan, why would they spy on you? That's not the question if you understand human nature. The question right. is, why wouldn't you do it? If no one's ever going to find out about it, which is what they thought, that's the false premise here. No one's ever going to tell on us, rat on us. We're never going to get caught. The question is, why wouldn't you, for political gain, do what they did to the president and others as well that we still don't know who, but others as well? So it is a mess. We've got to hope that justice will be done. And by the way, that kind of corruption is not uncommon in other countries. You just don't think it's going to happen in America <laughs> until it does. And the media buries so many significant stories that people need to know. That's why you have to listen to our show, obviously. It's impossible to keep up, and you've got a media you know, working in collusion with the Democrat Party to cover these things up. Now, this story should be the biggest news story there is in the world right now, and it's, that's intentional. It's, it's disgusting. It shouldn't be happening in America, and it shouldn't ever happen again. And every single person involved in that scandal should be in prison. Lock them up. No excuses, no exceptions. I don't care if they were the president or a staffer. Lock them up. Yeah, and also, what's it going to look like if that if that happens? And I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to be optimistic, and I'm going to say it's going to happen. Um, there may be deals here and there from some of the key players, but, I mean, I don't think there's going to be just complete immunity What's it going to look like at the end of the day when you've got Lisa Page and Andrew McCabe and John Brennan and all these other people that when they knew they were busted, they knew they were caught, they ran to CNN and MSNBC and became, became paid contributors 
to trash the president, to deceive the American people. I mean, it was really, I mean, frustrating for me, frustrating, I'm sure, for you, Brad, to watch it all. Yeah. But if you look now, those hires were acts of desperation. They had nowhere else to go. This was their only hope. Their only hope was to impeach the president uh, and get him thrown out of office or get him to resign. That was their only hope because their very freedom, their lives are at stake if this ever gets prosecuted the way it should. Absolutely. And we know Joe Biden was involved in that in a big way as well. It's not just corruption you have to worry about with Joe, but he actually has a troubling history of racially inflammatory remarks. And of course, as we mentioned, ironically, that's what President Trump is being accused of. Joe Biden said he was afraid his kids would grow up in a racial jungle. He drafted the Senate's version of the 1994 crime bill which imprisoned a record number of African-Americans. And he also obviously supported it. He called Barack Obama the first mainstream African-American who is articulate and bright and clean. Unbelievable. He said, if you can't figure out if you're for him, you ain't black. (laughs) That's my favorite one. I mean, the (laughs) on that guy. He said the American people, they're saying, geez, the reason I was able to stay sequestered in my home is because some black woman was able to stack the grocery shelf. Unbelievable. By the way, Joe Biden was good enough friends with former KKK leader Robert Byrd that he gave a eulogy at his funeral saying Byrd was held in, and I quote, incredible esteem. So why wasn't Joe Biden the candidate with an actual history of saying racially inflammatory things, asked to denounce white supremacy. Will he be asked to denounce white nationalist Richard Spencer's support? Why didn't Chris Wallace ask him about that? What does this really mean? Well, this is being done to advance a narrative to divide people by race to win power in an election. To stoke fear into black voters and white guilt into white voters. And the left does this every single election rinse and repeat well i mean first off can you imagine if trump had said that brad like i mean they would they would be saying well you know in a nod to slavery the the president you know if it wasn't for you out there in the fields uh i wouldn't have the lifestyle that i have that's how they would be spinning this you know they would be they would be saying this is a direct nod to slavery and the president is but of course we're not going to hear anything about uh, you know, you can't work at a 7-Eleven unless you have a slight Indian accent. That's what Joe Biden uh, said. And he said a bunch of other stuff as well. And Republicans were going to put black people back in chains. I mean, this guy has said a lot of offensive things. And, you know, because he's a liberal, he gets a pass. And that's what it ultimately comes down to. It's not who actually says something racially inflammatory. It's who they wanted to pin the political narrative on, and that's clearly President Trump. And we see now that big tech is going to help the Democrat Party as we get closer to election. They've now announced they'll be removing everything QAnon. As of Tuesday, they're removing everything related to QAnon. And so again, whether you believe in QAnon or you don't, that's not the point. The point is they're now censoring political viewpoints. 
Yeah, they they certainly the 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 media, the big tech, they certainly think it's a threat, uh, and that this is you know they've drummed all of this up. They think the left does again doesn't think that it was a uh, rejection of their ideas in 2016. They think it was because there was some uh, you know people on Facebook that had more freedom. I mean, that's what they actually believe. They think, well, we've got to limit the freedom. We've got to limit the free exchange of ideas because that's how we lost it the last time. And i got to tell you, I was pretty mad. When I was trying to pull these debate clips, I was like, well, uh, there was a great ad that the Trump campaign ran after the debate. It was like the top five things that you need to know, and it was a lot of good Trump and a lot of bad Biden. And I was trying to find that ad. And, you know, I've been doing – this for a while in, in, in radio in the past, and it was always pretty easy to use a Google or to use YouTube or whatever to find what I was looking for. I'm not a moron. I know how to search for things uh, and, you know, use the right words to figure out, you know, what I'm trying to find. Couldn't find this. I couldn't. I, I, I tried and tried. I didn't try all day or anything. I'm sure I would have eventually found it, but I gave up. And that's just infuriating to me that they are stacking the deck so far or so so high against because they are totalitarians. You can't really get around it. Again, just like the debate commission, Brad, they want to silence voices. They want to silence your voice. They want to silence my voice. They want to control what you can think. They want to control eventually what you can say. They think certain words are actually violence. They want to redefine the uh, you know the English language in some aspects. And so it's it's really really um, unfortunate. Now, to to your point on Biden and his racial statements, you know. His then Democratic primary opponent, Kamala Harris, now the vice presidential candidate who's going to be debating on Wednesday, uh, tomorrow as we record this, uh, she actually lashed out at Biden. I, I have that clip. Um, this was back during the debate where Kamala essentially uh, uh, says, well, I don't think you're a racist, but uh, you've done a lot of racist things. I do not believe you are a racist, and I agree with you when you commit yourself to the importance of finding common ground. But I also believe, and it's personal, and I was actually very, it was hurtful to hear you talk about the reputations of two United States senators who built their reputations and career on the segregation of race in this country. And it was not only that, but you also worked with them to oppose busing. Look. Everything I've done in my career, I ran because of civil rights. I continue to think we have to make fundamental changes in civil rights. And those civil rights, by the way, include not just only African-Americans, but the LGBT community. But yeah, the L LGBT, R-S-T-L-N-E, would you like to buy a Val community? If after the election, he still gets approximately 90% of the black vote. And we know over the past decade, that's the percentage of the black vote that the Democrat candidate has had, is it time for Republicans to change their strategy? In uh, basically, I say that because I don't know what else a candidate could do to lose your vote other than not do anything for them and continue to insult their race. That's a really good question. Um, I would say the answer is no, because I think anything else would be um, 
you know, Michelle Obama. When they go low, we go high. I feel, I feel like that would be going <laughs> low. Record low black unemployment. President has done more in 47 months than Joe Biden has done for the African-American uh, population in, you know, 47 years. I mean, that's the truth. Um, you know, if you look at the the Democrat, I like the spelling of the, <laughs> the Democrat. Some people spell Democrat with, with three Ks in the middle of the of the word you know because of because of the 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 true history and so i don't know i I like the truth i'm not afraid of the truth i know the media doesn't tell the truth i would start if i did anything i would start there don't know what the answer is and i know i always come back to it but it's just because i'm so tired of them and i'm so tired that they really don't have the best interests of the American people, the average American, regardless of your political beliefs. They don't really care. They see you as a, a useful idiot to get what they want, which in journalism school apparently now is how socialism or Marxism really looked great on a chalkboard, right? But we're talking about human beings now. We're talking about lives, and they are intentionally deceiving you, and it's it's really frustrating. So, no, I don't think you change your strategy, and I don't think – I think the president's going to break that 10%. Uh, I think he got 8% last time in 2016. You know, I'm hoping for 15 or maybe 20. I really am. And, of course, if that happens, you're looking at a two-term President Donald Trump hands down. Sure. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and in kind of shifting back into that vice president debate, it should be really interesting. Uh, you know, what we've seen from Kamala Harris is not much as a vice president running mate. She's largely been hidden from the media other than photo ops in Timberlands. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, you know, but let's talk about what we think the strategy should be. Of course, a quick programming note. We're actually recording this on a Tuesday. The debate is Wednesday. So it is possible by the time you're listening to this, the debate has happened. And you'll be able to say, okay, those guys were right on target. I think that it'll, it would really play well. If Vice President Mike Pence does the um, the presidential thing that everybody always accuses the president of not who's not. Pre- well, you know, OK, for those of you who I'm not one of these people that's like, well, I really like his policies, but I don't like his Twitter. No, I, I just am grateful that he's the president. And Hillary's not. And I think he's doing a great job. But there are those out there that they want this. Uh, I don't know. They want they want. They want to feel good, and for whatever reason, Mike Pence, there's a lot of Republicans, and I like Mike Pence. I don't dislike him. I think it would be good for him to just take the high road and and focus on substance. He's really good at doing that. One of the things that I started to really respect about Mike Pence um, is during the coronavirus briefings on a daily basis, he really uh, did a good job. He did a very good job. And I never doubted for a moment that he wasn't on top of all this. Of course, I also didn't doubt that the president was on top of it as well. If you just understand, you know, uh, everything that he was going through. So I think I think he needs to just focus on the policies and the disagreements and and he'll do it in the way Mike Pence does it, which is in a a strong, uh, a firm tone. But it's not over the top. It's not argumentative. It's just these are the facts. I think that's going to be tough for Kamala to beat I I you know as far as what her strategy would be it would it, I think she's got to get Mike Pence to mess up uh, and I don't think he's going to I think the guy uh, you know has ice water in his veins when he when he speaks in public he's been doing this a while you know as the governor of Indiana 
And so uh, that's my that's my short take. I might add more in a minute, but that's uh, my gut. Yeah. So just kind of following up on your take about being presidential and, you know, when you have a party that is literally, in my opinion, committing treasonous acts and it's the biggest modern political scandal in U.S. history, they're spying on you. They're doing an entire corrupt government cover up. They're wishing death upon you. But you want our president to be presidential while that's going on? I mean, that's a that's a it's a false premise. It's ridiculous to even think that. Look at the time we're in. Presidential? That's not how you create the change we need. But I think people have short memories or they're not studying up on history. Donald Trump is not presidential. Let me take you back to the 1800s. If you think this is bad, here's a little history lesson. Look up the election of 1800 with Adams and Jefferson. Adams accused Jefferson of promoting violence, incest, and lawlessness, being a libertine atheist, and spread the rumor Jefferson had died. Jefferson accused Adams of being a fool, a criminal, a tyrant, and soliciting prostitutes. This is the 1800s. Okay, so if you think being called a clown is not presidential, damn. What would you think if you were alive in 1800? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm wondering, and you're exactly right. I mean, we really have bowed down to authority more than, it, it, just in terms of like this psychological, we want to feel that you're presidential, whatever that means. You know, it can mean different things to different people. But it it's really because it makes us feel good. And so, you know, the, to your point, Brad, I agree with you. We would rather have somebody tell us lies and make us comfortable than tell us the truth that is that is dirty and makes us uncomfortable. Um, I, I still think that's kind of what Mike Pence is going to do. And I think he can do it and uh, and, you know, be substantive. And I think he can win now. He's going to have to debate the, the moderator as well. We know that. Politics is a dirty business. There's nothing clean about it. Everybody knows that getting into it. So they have some moral sense of superiority uh, of, you know, how someone should behave when they're being attacked and, you know, under the kind of pressure they are. I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's a false premise, as I said. Uh, but, but I do like that Mike Pence is kind of, a compliment to President Trump, as we talked about. He can be overbearing. He can control a conversation. And Mike Pence, like you said, he's got ice water in his veins. He's cool, calm, and collective. He's going to sit there. He's going to let you say what you have to say, politely wait, and when it's his turn, kick the proverbial knife in the back. So I, I think that's going to play really well. So I think he must press Kamala on eliminating the filibuster and Packing the Supreme Court, making D.C. and Puerto Rico states. And if she refuses to answer, I think he needs to press her on why she won't answer that. It would be the end of our constitutional republic, right? Yeah, it would. And and if it gets to that point where he presses, I think there's a decent chance that Kamala is going to is going to stumble. Um, she to me has always been very transparent in, in yeah. that she's not that bright. I'm just to be honest. I don't, I, and it, it, she's a, no, just, I agree. 
you know, she uh, it, it's a performance with her. And she's not likable at all. I mean, even <laughs> Democrats didn't want to vote for her in the primary. Uh, she did uh, terribly. She's just not likable. And I think that's part of the reason, at least, that they hide her so much. Uh, but what I would do, another angle that uh, Vice President Pence would be really smart to play. Yes, she's the most liberal senator in Congress, which that's factual. But how about this angle? Is she ready to be the president on day one? Because as we know, if Joe Biden were unable to continue his duties, and that's very possible based on his age and other things that we're seeing, is she ready on day one? And what is she going to do as president? Mm -hmm. That angle really needs to be tapped into more than ever. Because let's face it, a lot of us believe he would not make it a full term anyway, and she would become the president. Yes. He's got to defend Donald Trump's accomplishments, and I think he'll do a good job of that. He always does. If I were Kamala, or if I were the Kamala's people, what I would do with her is I would try to— You remember Christine Blasey Ford? And when yes. she started doing her—she started talking. She started talking that weird voice. I'm not saying it's going to be that mechanical, but they need to try, if I was a leftist, they need to try to make her as feminine as they can. Uh, not necessarily, now I'm not saying sexy, I'm saying feminine, and they need to play up Mike Pence being a man, especially with his religious background that he's not ashamed yeah. of, and they need to get a moment, if you're the moderator and you're conspiring with the Democrats like you are, like that's, that is going on, you want a moment where Pence is a chauvinist pig, and is piling on a woman, uh, a little phrasing there, and he is, uh, uh, and she's black, right? So you, you can play up the race as well. So you want to make him a, a misogynist and uh, a racist all in the same debate. It's going to be fun. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. <laughs> uh, it, it really should. You know, here's the most dangerous thing about uh, Kamala Harris to me. I don't want to mispronounce her name. She'll have a fit. <laughs> but, you know, the most amazing thing to me is that she will basically hold any position or do anything for power. And that's so dangerous to me. Anything, whatever it takes to reach power. And she implied Joe's a racist as you played that clip. But, of course, happily accepted the offer to be his running mate. <laughs> she so was funny. <laughs> for Medicare for all before she was against it. She was against marijuana legalization before she was for it. In 2008, she supported police informing ICE about illegal minors who were arrested on felony charges. Just last year, she compared ICE to the KKK. As California's attorney general, she defended the death penalty. Now she's against it. I, I mean, she's taken every position possible, all at the time, which she thinks will benefit her the most. And that's all it comes down to. And I think that's the most dangerous type of politician. Yeah. And, you know, I know I think Pence should definitely bring up the stuff about the Catholic priests. You know, there was that story about her not applying the law the way she should yeah. uh, with with some, uh, you know, some clergy that had done things that they shouldn't have done. Um, and I, as far as the name pronunciation, Brad, uh, I say Kamala. And the reason I don't <laughs> say Kamala is because I was a huge fan, still am a huge fan of Battlestar Galactica. Uh, and uh, you mentioned marijuana. So in that show, it's a space drama or whatever, you know, you should check it out. It's really good. Still stands up and it's surprisingly uh, theistic, monotheistic, uh, believe it or not, if you if you keep watching. <laughs> no spoilers. Sorry. Um, but Kamala 
extract is essentially the uh, Battlestar Galacta equivalent of marijuana, and they use it for cancer patients. And so, and it's a big deal. It's a big plot point. Kamala extract. Oh, the president's taking Kamala extract. So yeah, I, I can't get over it. I can't not say that her name is Kamala Harris because I think of Battlestar Galacta every single time, and I'm also a pretty big science fiction dork. So just so the audience knows that. <laughs> That's pretty brutal. So uh, I'm I'm probably going to need to smoke some Kamala extract watching her talk at this debate. Paul, where can our listeners follow you on social media? I'm on Twitter at Paul Harrell, 1776. Also the same handle for Instagram. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter at the Brad Shepard. That's S-H-E-P-A-R-D. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate our podcast five stars if you enjoy it and spread the word of what we're doing. Yeah.